are listening to Into the Void, a Black Sabbath podcast with your hosts, John and Darren. Welcome to Into the Void, a Black Sabbath podcast. I'm your host, John, and I'm here with my co-host, Darren. And today we are tackling the big one, Ozzy versus Dio. All right, well, let's get a few rules in place here before we get started. First of all, uh, we are not, this is not a competition, both Darren and I, we, we love both Ozzy and Dio. It's just more of a uh, uh, analyzing where they sit in the history of the band. Uh, we're also going to be including considering the devil you know as a black sabbath album and everything but title uh and uh i guess that's that's really about it so we can just we can jump into it uh darren ozzy versus dio where are you at on it well it's like you said it's it's not it's not a competition but it's funny the reason i thought about discussing is because a lot of times and i'll I'll see on social media or anywhere on the internet where people get very possessive about the two eras, you know, from both sides, people that are very defensive of the Aussie era have no tolerance for anything that came after. And then likewise, people are really possessive over the Dio era as being like their definitive black Sabbath. And it's weird that the two don't seem to be, I mean, in some cases they do, but generally speaking, it's more often than not, I see this division. It's like the both sides of the spectrum can't <laughs> coexist. And I, I think it's, I think it's strange because I mean, it's all the same band and there's a lot of, a lot of things about both eras that are very different. There's no denying that, but there also is the predominant presence of Tony Iommi and his riffs and his tone. And I mean, that I think is the main thing that identifies Black Sabbath is, is Tony Iommi, his guitar tone. Um, but the thing about it is that I, I guess you have to understand how how different the, the two are in order to really relate to to the argument that that people sometimes have and it, it is that it, it's like it's two completely different bands you know with the commonality being tony iomi's guitar but i mean you look at where black sabbath left off with ozzy and you could you could feel it sort of petering out you know um different musical uh things genres um styles being brought into the band getting far away from the original plot and uh and now it you know never say die is is pretty well revered more so than i think sometimes it deserves to be but you know sometimes age makes things people more fond of things as time goes on. But um, 
Never Say Die really seemed to be a band that was in distress. And you know, there was a lot of, um, just a lot of strange things going on in the music that didn't really exemplify what was part of Black Sabbath prior to that. So in two years time, basically the band reinvented themselves into this, this rejuvenated heavy metal band that was, is very, uh, very different and very inspired sounding more. So, and I think that's one of the, the main differences is the, is the inspired uh, sound of, of the new black Sabbath with Dio. I mean, everything from the, the songs, the lyrical subject matter, the playing, I mean, the performances seem more aggressive, whereas things kind of started to wind down a little bit on Never Say Die. You know, things kind of kicked back a little bit. But then in two years later, 1980, everything sort of was rejuvenated and there was an excitement. And um, it was definitely very, very different. Um, that's pretty much my take on it. I, I see it as like somebody hit the reset button on Black Sabbath and it was a complete, basically they figuratively, not literally, but figuratively they cleaned house. Of course, the only member that wasn't there anymore was Ozzy. But when Dio came in, I think the dynamic of the band changed pretty significantly. And also I think that the, I guess the way that they, they, they did things also changed. Dio came in with more of a, um, well, I, I think prior to that, Geezer was writing the lyrics and I think Heaven and Hell, the first Black Sabbath album with Dio, you could tell, I mean, if you followed Rainbow at all, you could tell that a lot of the lyrics were coming from Dio. So that was one major shift that was, was pretty profound. Um, and also change the personality of the band. I mean, that you know, when there's a change that significant, I mean, it's bound to have some pushback from people, and that's exactly what happened. But what's weird about it is it, it still goes on today. You think, you know, 30 years later, 40 years later, that things would have kind of like subsided, but it, it doesn't really seem to, and it's it's kind of an interesting an interesting thing. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I think there's a couple things that set up the why some people may prefer Dio or why some people may prefer Ozzy. Ozzy, of course, has the advantage of being the first guy in the band. Uh, yeah. So for a lot, and, and, and some of it is, is where you came into the band. You know, if you're somebody that, uh, you know, you discovered Black Sabbath in, during mob roles, uh, you may not have, you know, you, that may have been your gateway into the band. Sure. And, uh, you know, Ozzy was the first guy. And the other thing is, is that Ozzy, it, it isn't a situation like, let's say, ACDC. Okay, you're talking about bands that had big singer changes. Sure. And in ACDC, Bon Scott died. So Bon Scott, it isn't like Bon Scott left and then Bon Scott had a successful solo career that was running Mm-hmm. At the same time as, as as the Brian Johnson era of ACDC. So even though, in, you know, of course, in the ACDC world, there's people pick sides with that. But I think it's a little different because Ozzy, he, his, he had a very successful solo career that started at pretty much the exact same time that uh, the Dio era. 
started with Black Sabbath, you know, it kept Ozzy in, in the public eye. And even though, this is the thing about Ozzy, when you, when you're, when you compare Ozzy and, and Dio to each other, if I asked my parents uh, if they knew who Ozzy Osbourne was, they would immediately say yes. If I asked my parents if they knew who Ronnie James Dio was, I'm pretty sure they would say no. Yeah. So because, because of Ozzy's presence, it hangs over, it hung over the Dio era, maybe more than if Ozzy had just fallen off the map. You know, I'm trying to think off my head some band that had iconic singer that just disappeared, but I can't think of one. But, you know, if Ozzy had just disappeared, maybe it wouldn't have made a difference. And the other thing is, you know, Ozzy had eight albums. Dio had, if we count The Devil You Know, Dio has four. Ozzy has nine, actually, if we count, count you know, 13. 13. So, you know, there's always been that. And, you know, in the band... Uh, never really helped that either. Like the way things happened during the, with Dehumanizer, with, you know, the story of how Ronnie left because they, they were doing these shows with Ozzy. It was never really like Black Sabbath was able to completely cut the cord with Ozzy. You know, they did Live Aid together. There was always still some sort of, connection and even when they were feuding it still kept them connected the speak of the devil versus live evil it still kept them you know connected in in a way so it's like the shadow of ozzy you know just sort of hangs large over yeah over the band and it's unfair i think because uh dio like like you mentioned dio came in and uh, you know it is a a shift in the direction of the band you know, I would say that it probably would have happened anyways with Ozzy. If you sort of look at 19, I mean, look at what Ozzy did in 1980 with Blizzard of Oz. You know, that album doesn't sound anything like no, what he was no, doing no, no, with, with Black Sabbath. So that was just sort of some sort of conscious, subconscious shift in the metal world. And you think of all the albums that came out in 1980, you know, British Steel, Ace of Spades, the two Saxon records, uh, Heaven and Hell, Blizzard of Oz, you know, they're all real kind of stepping away from the 60s, 70s, more focused. The songs are a little tighter. The production is tighter. Doing away with the jamming and the experimenting that all these bands did in the 70s, Scorpions, Animal Magnetism, you know, everybody's just seemed to at the same time do that in, in 1980. So, you know, yeah. that's what happened with, I think I think Sabbath would have done that anyways, even if Dio was there. Maybe it wouldn't have been as as profound as as with Dio. But again, I think it's just because Ozzy's shadow is so large, and because he ha- is is such a public figure and has really not left the public eye, really at any point. I mean, you know, when he was in Black Sabbath, he, his solo career started in 1980, and you can say what you want about Ozzy in the 90s, but you know, Ozzy is a guy whose name has always been out there. He's, he's always been in the public eye. He never completely disappears for 10 or 10 years or something like that. So because of that, you know, the name Black Sabbath is always connected to him and his shadow just is, runs really large. It does. Uh, the other thing is, I think there was rivalry that was constantly being, you know, uh, recycled and it was, I remember I, you know, on a Diary of a Madman tour when, when uh, Ozzy would hang the midget 
his name was Ronnie because he was a midget. <laughs> so he's taking swipes at Dio's height, you know. Um, and if you were, I was an Aussie fan in the early eighties. I mean, to me, Black Sabbath was Aussie, and it, even though I I did eventually get Heaven and Hell, I didn't I didn't get it at the same time that I got Blizzard of Oz. It was a couple years later. Well, it wasn't a couple years later. It was, it was within. I guess it was around 1981. It was before, I know Mob Rules came out in 81, but I did get Heaven and Hell just a little while before Mob Rules came out. But I was still kind of reluctant. I was on Team Ozzy. And, it, you know, um, Ozzy was, he made, he definitely was larger than life. And I think that management really helped that along. I think, and, Probably the reason was that, you know, if we all know the story, Sharon was, you know, uh, rebelling against her father, who was still managing Black Sabbath at the time. Her pet project was Ozzy. So, you know, she used Ozzy as a weapon against her father management with Black Sabbath. So she was promoting Ozzy and this, you know, the Dove incident, you know, that was that wasn't an accident, um, you know, even though it, it seems like the explanation for it is pretty, pretty innocent. Oh yeah. Well, Ozzy had these dubs and I told him to, when he went to the press conference to let the dubs out and uh, he was drunk and he grabbed one and he bit its head off. Well, that's more consistent with the image of, of Ozzy at that time coming from black Sabbath, you know, the guy, that, the, the maniacal Better, yeah. heavy metal, you know, crazy guy, biting the head off a dove as opposed to what the quote unquote original plan was to let the dove. So it was more like a Robert plan. Ozzy wasn't a Robert <laughs> plan. He was, he was a crazy, you know, rock and roll madman, even though the term madman hadn't been designated for him just yet, but it was working towards that. And, you know, all the press, I mean, that's what, I mean, of course, Blizzard of Oz is an incredible album. So I mean, musically it was, it was self-sufficient in that regard. But when you couple the, all of the press and, and all the, the, the tantalizing, you know, things that were going on as far as like what crazy thing he was doing was, you know, really helping, helping him along. And, and, I, and there was a rivalry. I'm not sure if it was really necessarily between Ozzy, the musician and Black Sabbath, you know, the band, or if it was between Sharon and Don Arden. You know, because I mean, the whole live evil or speak of the devil live evil was a tit for tat. You know, I mean, Black Sabbath was getting ready to come out with their live album, Live Evil. And Sharon quickly got the band to learn the Sabbath songs and they recorded them at the Ritz in New York over two nights. And Brad Gillis had to learn those songs in like three nights or whatever it was. And uh, and I've heard both recordings and, and the first night it was pretty rusty i mean as as great as those music, musicians were to learn you know all those songs in a matter of days and then have them recorded for a live album that was sort of all of a sudden conceived to compete with black sabbath live album and and wasn't it strange that the ozzy live album even though he had two very successful albums under his belt at this point wasn't it strange that they were all the, the, the double live album was comprised entirely of Black Sabbath albums? And wasn't it strange that it came out right before or shortly before the Black Sabbath live album 
was supposed to be released. I think that did did Live Eagle come out in '82? I I know that Speak of the Devil did, but I think I they're only a few months apart. But I I know that Speak of the Devil was 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 rushed along to beat the Black Sabbath live album. And um, and I know there was you know the the thing about how it was originally supposed to be a a live album with Randy, but because Randy died, then they didn't think that it was very tasteful to do it at that point, but they still wanted to do it. Well, it would make more sense to shelve the idea of a live album altogether rather than just go ahead and, and record it all Black Sabbath songs. You know, I mean, I don't know how yeah. how stupid they think or how gullible they think people are, but it was it was obvious that there was some rivalry there. So I think that that bled into the audience, you know, I think they saw it, you know, subconsciously they were being, you know, fed that subliminally. And I think that lent itself to the, to the taking sides thing, you know, like, or you're either an Aussie fan or you're a Dio fan. And I remember, you know, 81, 82, you know, my friends and I saying Dio sucks, you know, I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> It was great, and we, we liked the album. It was just that it was we were kind of like programmed that you could either like you could only like one or the other. And well, you know, we heard Ozzy first in Black Sabbath, and then when his solo album came out, that was the first one we heard. So we were by default we were on board with the Ozzy stuff. And um, yeah, I just checked. Speak of the Devil came out in November of '82, and Live Evil came out in December of '82. So yeah, they came out literally within within a month of each other. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think the thing about Ozzy is, is that for as much as people are quick to kind of write him off as someone whose career has uh, survived off the back of others, you know, you'll often hear, you know, he doesn't write his own lyrics, he doesn't he doesn't really write the music and, and everything like that. There's a couple of things that I think that Ozzy has. First of all, you don't have a career as long as he does if, he, if there's not something there. Obviously, he brings something to the table. And to those people that, that as an aside, to those people who bring this up all the time that Ozzy, he doesn't bring anything to the table, I tell them to search out the Dave Walker version of Junior's Eyes, uh, you know, mm -hmm. quick history, Ozzy briefly leaves uh, before Never Say Die, Dave Walker comes in, and they recorded a version of Junior's Eyes with Dave Walker. Well, mm -hmm. it is nowhere near as good as the Ozzy version. So that is proof right there of what, what Ozzy brings, brings to the table. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing is, is that Ozzy always, two things, his voice and his personality. His personality has always been kind of like this, uh, this lovable, lovable guy hanging around at the bar. This 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 guy you want to root for. This this kind of uh, he, Ozzy always sort of downplays himself a little bit when he talks about himself. You know, he's he's just sort of this lovable bloke that you want to sort of cheer for. And the other thing is, is his, his voice is, you know, if you sit down and you, 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 you add it up, Dio technically has a better voice than Ozzy does. He has a bigger range. He has more control over his voice than Ozzy. But Ozzy has 
such a unique quality to his voice stands out so much that anybody coming after him, anybody being compared to him, it's, it's hard to compare yourself to him because he stands out so much in, in, in a unique way. You know, I once heard somebody say, uh, the Ozzy era songs only sound right when Ozzy sings them. Oh, it's true. And it's, you know, Dio can technically sing any, all the other singers that came afterwards can technically sing those songs. And what it made I think me Tony th- Martin, I think Tony Martin did a really good job with the Ozzy stuff. Uh, Dio did not. And the proof of that is live evil, but. Yeah. And, and if you think of it this way, uh, think of an act, I was thinking, okay, of an actor like Christopher Walken. Okay. He's a guy that has a very unique way that he speaks, you know? Yeah. And if somebody else came in and tried to do some role that he had done, you know, it wouldn't be the same because he just has this unique way, such a unique way of speaking. And Ozzy has such a unique way of singing that when you have anybody else sing his stuff, it doesn't sound right. And like you said, the proof of that is live evil. Although there are some things that I think Dio sounds okay on singing on live evil, like I'm okay with like children of the grave kind of works for me, but like the song black Sabbath, doesn't work for me you know i just that to me paranoid i think was the biggest fail on on that album um nib's is pretty good can deal with that children of the grave i I think is fine uh black sabbath is he's just a little bit too melodramatic with it but um you know uh it was just it was odd it 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 wasn't in it, it just sounded very strained you know, and I guess we're all used to hearing Ozzy sing those songs, and he he made those songs what they are. And um, when you were talking about how Ozzy doesn't doesn't get enough credit, I, I I totally agree. And I remember not that long ago there was somebody saying that the only reason Ozzy was a was a hack, and you know, it was everybody else that that wrote the music, and oh well. Bob Daisley wrote the lyrics and, and this and, and that. And Randy Rhodes was the real star of the show. Well, it was, it wasn't Randy Rhodes blizzard of Oz. It wasn't Bob Daisley's blizzard of Oz. And it wasn't Lee Kerslake's blizzard of Oz. It was Ozzy Osbourne's blizzard of Oz. And he was the one that sold it. And, you know, he, most of the, the highlight of, I mean, of course, Bob Daisley was in rainbow and, you know, he was in, who was he in before that? Cavish Jute, the Australian band, but I guess. Widowmaker. Yeah. Widowmaker, yeah. Um, so he was in, you know, in other bands, but his big, the big band was the Blizzard of Oz, you know, and Ozzy gave him, you know, a lot of identity from his involvement with those two albums. Now, I mean, likewise, Bob and Lee contributed a lot to that album, but. I mean, I think if you remember the Living Loud project yeah, with Jimmy Barnes on lead vocals, I think those guys really thought that they were going to show Ozzy up and be like, these are our songs and we're going to have a popular Australian singer, Jimmy Barnes, who has a great voice and is very well regarded. And we're, he's going to sing these songs better than Ozzy. And this album's going to be, it's going to be really popular. I think Steve Morse was playing guitar on it. 
it tanked because nobody wanted to hear it. I mean, they weren't bad, but Ozzy made those songs outstanding, you know? Yeah. And um, without him, I don't think, you know, there wouldn't, Randy Rhodes wouldn't have become as popular as he is. And Bob Daisley wouldn't have had a, uh, a career. And, and it's also telling that Bob Daisley, even as disgruntled as he apparently was, still continued to work with Ozzy for several years after that. Yeah, and if if you want further proof of what Ozzy brings to the table, the song You Looking at Me, Looking at You, which yeah. for people out there was the B-side to Crazy Train, I think. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, that was actually a Quiet Riot song. The chord progression, the guitar solo is lifted straight off of like the Quiet Riot version of the song. Mm-hmm. Ozzy's vocals in melody line is completely different. It's it's slightly rearranged and it's a completely different song in a much, much, much better song. Yeah. You know, because of it, if you listen to what Randy was doing with Quiet Riot, uh honestly the songs weren't really that great, you know, and it wasn't until he got together with Ozzy and Bob Daisley and, and all that that it that it all sort of came came together and Everybody likes to dump on Sharon, but Sharon Osborne even once said, if all these, if Ozzy is such a joke and all these other people were so instrumental in, in, in making him successful, how come they've had, haven't had yeah. success after, after they left? And, you know, say what you want about, you know, Ozzy, and you can maybe credit this to his management, part of this to his management. You know, Ozzy has managed to stay relevant uh, through all the sea changes of grunge and, and everything that's that's come and gone. And he's basically now set himself up as sort of this iconic, legendary singer. Whereas if you look at the career of Dio, uh, after the first couple, couple Dio solo albums, you know, Dio's career was never really quite the same. But going back to Black Sabbath, you know, it always kind of felt like with Ozzy that they, it kind of felt like, this guy that breaks up with his girlfriend, but then he's like always calling her and they're, even though they're fighting, they're still like remaining in touch with each other. And you would Mm -hmm. think like, well, if you hate each other so much, why do you call each other? Why do you, because you just, again, you look at their career and I would put that in all the guys in the original black Sabbath geezer was in on cross purposes, Bill Ward, popped in here and there. I don't remember when the Tony Martin era, he played a couple live shows with yeah. them during the Tony Martin era. Uh, the, re- the reunions, the live aid reunions, the reunion around the dehumanizer, you know, it was just something that was always lingering that the fighting, like we talked about earlier around the live albums, you know, it was just like maybe in some ways, you know, they realized that, there is sort of this, this special chemistry that existed between the four of them. But that being said, you know, when Dio came into the group, Dio is a very strong personality. Dio is a much different singer in, in, in a lot of different ways. You know, he's, he has a different voice. He writes his own lyrics. As the guys in the band have said, you know, Dio would come in and say, hey, play, play this chord there in, instead. do this chord progression because Dio, he understood music in the sense that he played bass and everything and he could express himself differently uh, than Ozzy did. And I think that that really pushed them to do some stuff that, you know, was maybe a little bit more 
musically challenging in some ways than, you know, what they, what they did with Ozzy. But I think because they never, you know, what would have happened if Dio had hung around for, let's say he had made six albums with the band before he left, you know, would it have changed people's perception of the band? Going back to ACDC, there's some people that, you know, all they know is the Brian Johnson era of ACDC because that stuff is so all over the radio. Uh, so I don't know, you know, maybe if Dio had hung around longer and hadn't been kind of in and out of the band, but, you know, the reality is, is you can't get away from, from who Ozzy is. And look, when I saw them the last time they came through Tampa, multiple times throughout the show, people started chanting and they weren't chanting black, you know, Sabbath, Sabbath, Sabbath. They were chanting Ozzy, Ozzy, Ozzy. I mean, it's, it's almost like it is, it's just, it is what it is. He casts this, this massive shadow that. Do you think that in the time that Dia was with Black Sabbath, that there were any songs that, that they released that were as, I'm trying to think of what word would apply, as iconic as songs like Iron Man, Paranoid, uh, Children of the Grave, Sweet Leaf, um, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. You know, you know where I'm going with yeah. this. Yeah, well, certainly nothing from the Dio era gets right. the so, rotation on classic rock radio the way Paranoid Iron Man does, you know, the War Picks. And that's another reason why Ozzy is more associated with Black Sabbath than Dio is because his stuff landed in that eternal classic rock rotation thing. You know, I would say within the band, within the metal community, I would say a song like Heaven and Hell is as iconic it, as right. uh, the Dio, as, as the, you know, Paranoid or, or Iron Man, but Definitely. beyond Heaven and Hell, you know, and again, it's, it's where people, when I came into the band, it was all kind of happening at the same time. I, I discovered Oz, Blizzard of Oz, I got Paranoid, and I got Heaven and Hell all like right around the exact same time. So there was no sort of confusion like, oh, I was listening to Heaven and Hell for a year, and then all of a sudden I figured out that, you know, Ozzy was there, or I was listening to Ozzy. I didn't, you know, didn't realize Ozzy wasn't in Black Sabbath anymore, but but there are some people that feel that way. And, and again, because that era never, never achieved the uh, status that the, that the Aussie era did. Whereas if you look at AC, keep, we keep coming back to ACDC, but Back in Black was such a massively huge selling record that it wasn't the same as, you know, Heaven and Hell didn't sell as many copies as Back in Black did. If, if Heaven and Hell had, had sold 20 million copies, maybe people would have forgot quicker about the Aussie era, but it, you know, it did well, but it, it wasn't uh, the seismic shift that Back in Black was for ACDC. No, I, I think that, that Ozzy um, continued, well, I think when Black Sabbath, when Black Sabbath broke up as far as the original lineup and Ozzy went his way, and the remaining members went their way with Dio. I think that stylistically, you know, the old Black Sabbath was was gone. 
uh, Black Sabbath turned into a heavy metal band. Whereas before they were like, you could say that you know, the early Black Sabbath albums were, well, I mean, it's commonly regarded as, they're commonly regarded as, as heavy metal albums. But to me, it's more like blues, heavy rock, you know, um, by, by contrast to what Black Sabbath were doing when Dio joined. Those were very metal albums. Um, Ozzy, likewise, was also, I mean, his Blizzard of Oz was very dark, you know, it had the, uh, you know, the occult um, uh, vibe with Mr. Crowley and uh, Revelation, Mother Earth, not so much an occult, but in Doom and Gloom, which was a part of Sabbath, of course, but, um, but also like the, you know, the more the heavier guitar playing, I guess, for lack of a better word, the, the more modern maybe uh, style that Randy had was, you know, straight from LA, right? Quiet Riot was from LA. It, there was a, it wasn't as much of a British blues sound anymore. Now it was more of a, of a modern heavy, heavy metal sound that was backing Ozzy's voice up. So I think both bands at that, at that time, had, had moved on to, you could say, greener pastures. And the old Black Sabbath with Tony and Geezer and Bill and Ozzy was now, you know, it was there, but it wasn't relevant anymore as far as what these musicians were doing. Um, but nevertheless, uh, Black Sabbath continued with the name Black Sabbath and continued on. However, you know, they never really got to the point where they were, I mean, commercial as commercially viable. I don't think. Um, I mean, I love this stuff. Don't get me wrong. And, and as as a metalhead, for metalhead, stuff is amazing. And I, I, Bob Rules is one of my my favorite heavy metal albums of all time. But it doesn't really quite have the same appeal that Black Sabbath. You can hear Black Sabbath. You can hear War Pigs, and you will hear Paranoid on classic rock stations and like we just talked about a few minutes ago, you won't, you won't hear anything from Heaven and Hell or Mob Rules on classic rock stations. So um, there's that, um, which is a pretty significant thing. I, I think when, when any kind of uh, artist or band can cross over, you know, a few, a few genres, well, you know, classic rock, heavy metal, and, you know, let's say, basic just modern rock and and have all have the audience or have the the fan base of those genres all relevant to rock but have those that wide of an appeal as opposed to the band that's currently existing as black sabbath that's really pretty much focused on by default because of the elements that were involved in the music pretty much focused on heavy metal um, it gives the Aussie legacy and the Aussie solo career a distinct advantage, I think. And, um, and I would say that that's probably unfortunate for where Black Sabbath was in the eighties. I, I think that, that Aussie's solo career boosted the popularity of his era of Black Sabbath and it almost lent itself 
to a competition between the two ears. Yeah, Just, and the, the, um, the other thing is, is if, if okay, so when Dio leaves, he, he's very successful with Holy Diver, Last in Line, and uh, Sacred Heart. And then pretty much it falls off the shelf. And if, if Dio had as long of a career, as successful as a solo career as Ozzy, and even if you match up Dio against, you know, where Ozzy was in 83, 84, Ozzy was leaps and bounds above where Dio was, uh, maybe not leaps and bounds, but he was, he was farther ahead than, than Dio was. And Ozzy, you know, speak of the devil, he was always playing Sabbath songs, uh, always playing Sabbath songs in his sets and everything. So, you know, again, it's that thing. Maybe if Dio had had this huge successful career and had been in the public eye the way Ozzy was, you know, maybe it would have kept that air of the band alive a little bit more. And But uh, I think one of the things about Dio that well and the other thing too is is when he came back for dehumanizer that album did not call it timing you know that album did not make an impact the way i think it's bad timing i think that it, it was not the right time for that album i mean i loved it but you know the grunge pearl jam Soundgarden, nirvana was in full swing it was just bad timing yeah, yeah. and so you know, he just never had the the successful run that uh, that Ozzy did. But you know, one thing I will say, you know, let's sounds like we're beating up on Dio a little bit, but uh-huh. <laughs> and I love Dio. You know, don't don't get me wrong. You yeah, know, I, I do too. I do too. Yeah, you know, he's you know the one thing that I that I that I will say. If I'm okay, if I'm going to gripe about Ozzy. Uh, I've, when it comes to live performances, performing their own material, let's say it that way, mm-hmm. to me, Dio wins that hands down. Oh, yeah. Ozzy oh, is such perfect. an inconsistent Absolutely. live singer. And I was so happy when every, okay, everybody knows the devil you know, the band Heaven and Hell. Mm-hmm. It's Black Sabbath and everything but name. Right. And I, but I was so glad that they didn't call that Black Sabbath because I did not want to hear them go out on the road and have, and them feeling obligated to have to play Iron Man and Paranoid. And when they, when they did go out as heaven and hell, it really felt, and the guys in the band even said this, that everything was on the table to play. And they really played, you know, some, some different things. Like they played Lonely is the Word. Uh, it, it was just when with Dio as the vocalist, they could do anything. Now with Ozzy, it's, it's always been irritating to me. It's always been frustrating. His voice is hit or miss. You were talking about that Ritz show that became Speak of the Devil. For anybody out there that hasn't heard it, look it up on YouTube. You can hear our bootlegs of it with before Ozzy overdubbed his voice. He sounds horrendous. <laughs> Yeah, he sounds I'm terrible. And let's that. face it, Ozzy more often than not sounds bad live than he mm-hmm. does good. And even when, and so what upsets me with Ozzy because of that is like when they did this last, these last tours that they've done ever since the reunion, basically, and 
not so much in the 99 reunion because they did do some songs that were a little different in the beginning. You know, they were doing like Spiral Architect. Mm -hmm. Dirty Women. They did a little bit of Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. But really quickly, the set list just descended into the first three albums. And it was really just because Ozzy can't sing this stuff live. And there's videos out there. I know you gave me a, a DVD once. I think it was at the... I think it was in Birmingham at the early in one of their one of their tours with Ozzy, and they tried Wheels of Confusion. Yeah, <laughs> and it sounds like Ozzy never heard that song before. <laughs> I, you know, it's yeah. like it is beyond terrible. Now, yeah. okay, so it's cringy. It's it cringy. is absolutely cringy. So, and even when they put out the thirteen album, I distinctly remember Ozzy multiple times in interviews saying. I made sure that I didn't sing really high so that I could pull these songs off live. So what did they do? They came out of the gate and they were playing end of the beginning. Uh, They played uh, Loner, which Loner sounded absolutely dreadful. There's a video out there from Australia with Uh Ozzy singing that word is just like he never heard the song before in his life. It is horrible. Uh, and eventually they landed up dropped. They did Methodemic. They landed up dropping everything from the 13 album. And so it was all stuck with that same set list. You can say what you want. This is people. All right. I challenge people to go out and find a really terrible Ronnie James Dio performance. Good point. Seriously, dig around on YouTube through Rainbow, through his solo band. Okay. And don't confuse... Because people will say this, like, oh, you know, I listened to uh, something from, like, when he did, uh, he, when he played all of Holy Diver, when Doug Aldridge was in the band, and he, he did no. all of Holy Diver. So, was- you know, it doesn't sound as good as Holy Diver. Well, okay, he's singing in tune, he's singing in time. The tone of his voice has changed a little because of his age, but yeah. he's still in tune, he's still in time, his, his voice isn't cracking and blowing out you know all over the place he's not forgetting lyrics you know exactly whereas with ozzy it's just live he is a mess and so i almost resented that on these last tours where it was like come on man you know the same set list if only ozzy could sing and then this is just an observation you know, after this last tour he did with Black Sabbath, I watched some clips of him live when he went out with his solo band. And I was like, you know, he actually sounds pretty good. And I thought, yeah. did he not put the homework in with, with Black Sabbath? Or what is, the, what is the problem? So with Dio, to me, Dio, he gets extra points for me with knowing that I can YouTube any Dio era Black Sabbath video and I know he's going to sound great. With Ozzy, it was total hit or miss. When Dio was in the band, they played any, anything from the albums was, was on the table to be, to be sung live. And I don't care. And it's, it's not an excuse. You know, I, I, when I see people on forums and they say, oh, you know, give Ozzy a break and all this other stuff. Well, no, you know, it's, it's just either he should, if he can't sing the stuff, he should stop touring or 
No, I go to hear the guy sing. I mean, I don't go there. To, I, I was on a forum once and a guy said, well, you know, it's good enough for me just listening to him go cuckoo, you know, and stuff like yeah. that. And I thought to myself, well, no, it isn't. No, it isn't. You know, so it, Dio, hats off to Dio for what a great live, consistently great live vocalist he was. And points deducted from Ozzy for his live, his live performances. I, I think the Ozzy experience, the Ozzy live experience was something that was more visual. I think that was something that you, well, I know, you know, it was more, well, I, I know that when I wanted to see Ozzy in 82 on Diary, I mean, I, I wasn't allowed to go initially because there was a reputation that he was, you know, not only he was doing crazy things on stage, but the audience members were, you know, throwing fireworks and shit on stage. And it was like breaking beer bottles and stuff. It was, you know, of course that wasn't the case, but there was this reputation that Ozzy had live that, you know, I mean, and, and as it went on, it got even worse. And then when he bit the head off the bat on stage, then people were saying, Oh, he wouldn't play unless, you know, the audience were, were, were killing uh, animals and he was sawing the one ridiculous rumor was that he was sawing the legs off a Doberman pincher on stage. <laughs> it just got, you know, it, it got totally blown out of proportion, but that's what an Ozzy Osbourne concert was. I mean, it was like you wanted to, you know, there was all these rumors, there was all this hype about how crazy he was, and how crazy these concerts were. So you were going there to see Ozzy. And really, it's kind of unfair to the musicians who were so good, like Brad Gillis and, of course, Randy Rhodes. But, I mean, even after Randy Rhodes died, he, you know, he always had outstanding musicians in his band. And, and you know, Jake and, and Rudy and Tommy Aldridge, um, uh, Carmine Apiece, um, you know, he always had a, a great band. But people didn't go there to hear him sing, necessarily and to hear the band they just wanted to see what he was going to do how crazy these concerts were you know um so the distinction was that dio was a professional he was he was a musician he was you know he was a he was he was also an entertainer but first and foremost he was a he was a lead singer he was a vocalist and that was where the priority was he was also very personable um he had a good uh rapport with the audience he made them feel like you and everybody was in the same room. I mean, you know, we've seen them, we've seen them together and we, you know, we've, I, I saw Dio in, um, 84, um, uh, with, uh, you know, the, the last in line on, on tour for the last in line. And he loved playing Philadelphia and everybody in that audience felt like they were pretty much interacting with Dio, you know? And even when we saw him in, what was it? 2007, you yeah. know, somebody threw up a banner and he, he walked over, he picked the banner up and he held it up, you know, and, and he was talking to a couple people in the front. I mean, he had a great rapport with the audience. Um, but, and like you said, he was also on point professionally, you know, he would never forget the lyrics. If he was, if his voice was off, it was, it was almost okay because it, 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 it was it was still it still sounded good and it only added to the experience of it not being exactly the same as it was on the record you know you had something special oh we sang that a little differently 
well, that's part of my concert. That's part, part of my live experience I'm having with Dio, you know? So it was even better if he sang it a little differently. Uh, with Ozzy, I mean, his voice is just a fucking mess, you know? But you were there. What was he wearing? What did he look like? And part of it, you wanted to see it crash and burn. I mean, I know I saw Ozzy uh, with Metallica in 87, and he forgot the lyrics to Flying High again. And I could see Jakey, I mean, he was just like, he was just at, at the mic and he just wasn't singing anything. And Jake kind of like sashayed over and leaned into Ozzy and you could see that he was whispering in his ear and he kind of got Ozzy jump-started again. And then, you know, he remembered the lyrics or he at least mumbled something that closely resembled what he was supposed to be singing. But it was entertaining. I'm like, oh my God, this is really happening. He forgot the lyrics to the song, you know. Uh, completely inexcusable. and. Um, in a Dio situation, but for Ozzy, hey man, it was all part of it. That's, that's Ozzy, you know? Yeah, Everybody's and that's part of the, we, we said really early on, I mentioned that, you know, Ozzy always has this, uh, this lovable, lovable clown, lovable goofball. You know, he's the guy at the bar that's spilling drinks all over himself and everybody's laughing, you know, yeah. laughing, he's laughing and everybody's laughing along with him. You know, that was always kind of Ozzy. So, so people want to root for Ozzy and I mean, I want to root for Ozzy too. You know, he's, you know, he's, he is an, you know, an iconic guy and uh, he's just that kind of guy, you know, you want to root for him. And it, it seems to me like, you know, in those, the early eighties, I think he says he still had his voice together. It was really like towards the, you know, the reunion era when things really got rough with his vocal, but you know, he was even during the seventies and, he's he's never he's always been inconsistent as anybody and i know you have a lot of sabbath bootlegs and so do i and you know you you just that's always the thing you're waiting for is to hear what ozzy's voice is gonna sound like you know because sometimes when he's on he's he's great he's he's just incredible but well there's actually maybe only a couple years where i could say that he was really in top form um you know certainly in the early shows you know from like 70 to 71 i yeah. think we're all an early sabotage tour you know like yeah. right before sabotage came out there's that you know that soundboard from where is that rhode island or maryland or or something there's a it couple of the past lives thing yeah there was one from asbury park yeah that's what i'm thinking of asbury park yeah well no there was another one from new england too and both of them were, were, were great i mean like actually Ozzy sounds better than anybody. I mean, as you're going to talk about the quality of the performance, I mean, everybody was on point, but Ozzy was just, uh, I think they did yeah. Megalomania, you know, and it was like, wow. Cause remember we were listening to it in the car. We were on our way to a show. I think when we played somewhere up in, uh, Rochester, we were listening to that. I don't think you'd heard it yet, but you were like, oh my God, this sounds excellent. And I'm like, yeah, it does. I mean, it's one of the rare Sabbath concerts that, you know, you can actually say, hey, man, Ozzy sounds great. And it wasn't like they were doing easy material then. You know, that was when they were doing Hole in the Sky and Symptom of the Universe yeah. and, you know, uh, right. And, you know, I, I think part of it, I think what happened with him is when they went to Technical Ecstasy and Never Say Die, if you're not a guitar player, you might not notice this, but the Never Say Die VHS, uh, the albums uh, before Technical Ecstasy, uh, Sabotage, Master of Reality, and uh, Volume 4 were all tuned down to C-sharp. 
Well, when they got to Never Say Die, they tuned back up to regular pitch, essentially making everything three notes higher. So when you see Ozzy singing Snowblind in Symptom of the Universe and, you know, any of, the, any of that stuff from those Master of Reality Sabotage Volume 4 on that Never Say Die tour, he's singing it higher than it was on the record. And in my opinion, that's where just you hear his voice on that Never Say Die tour and he has this croaky like sound to his voice. And I think, you know, he just, that's where he really, I think, ruined his voice was when they started, to, they weren't tuned down anymore. And he was trying to sing all that stuff you know, even higher than it was on the record, which was already crazy high stuff like symptom of the universe was already, you know, yeah. very high. And it's just, it just destroyed his voice in the first couple of years of his solo career. You know, I think he was still pretty on point. It really wasn't until maybe the nineties where it sort of got, got off a little bit, but. Yeah. I think uh, if you've seen the after hours video, I'm, I'm sure you have, um, and that was basically live in a, in a television studio. And uh, he sounds pretty good, but um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, of bad notes and um, it, it's, it's not real strong. And, and you can tell, <laughs> you could tell by the, by his facial expression, I think particularly crazy train, right? He goes for the one high note and he just misses it by like, a yeah. <laughs> and he's like, he's like holding the mic and he's kind of like, mm, mm, like he's getting frustrated. Uh, but you know, I mean, Ozzy, I mean, I, Dio, I, I don't think Dio was a drug user. I mean, I, I think probably everybody in that era did dabble with things from time to time. It was the 80s or it was the 70s. And, you know, it was, it was part of the, the culture at that time. But I don't think anybody dabbled quite as much as Ozzy probably did. And um, it, it definitely took a toll. Um, Dio was a smoker, I think, most of his career. And uh, that didn't really seem to to affect his voice. I mean, obviously, I mean, he was still singing great, uh, even in 2009. Now you can hear, you know, his voice started to diminish a little bit, but you know, I mean, for someone his age, I mean, I'm not sure how much of it was because of not taking care of his voice or because he was just getting like, I was like late sixties at that point, you know, yeah. but I'm, Ozzy just, I mean, yeah was was a mask, you know, I mean, and, and so even during that um, 78 tour where that video that never say die video was filmed, there's things about it that I like. I mean, I like the version of Snowblind on it. I, I like some of his inflections in between the lines. I so much so that I listened for that and I, I preferred to hear that live version of Snowblind as opposed to the studio version. But um, in other in other aspects, you know, he's just, he's whacked out of his head. I mean, you know, they're all, they're all coked up, you know, and I don't know how anybody could, could tour under those, under those conditions and perform every night, you know, in, in a way that would be somewhat professional, <laughs> you know. Uh, and again, it, it comes back to, you know, probably, that was the era. I mean, I think most of the people in the audience were probably just as messed up, if not more so than the people on stage. And it was like a party, you know, that's what a concert was. So, um, I think our generation, um, maybe we were more in tune with the performances and things, you know, um, 
But the generation before that, the, the 70s generation, I, I don't think they were just there to have a good time. I don't think they really criticized uh, performance that much, as long as, you know, the people on stage seem to be giving it their all and seem to be into the moment. It was good enough, you know. Um, the 80s, yeah, the, go ahead. yeah, I was just going to say that uh, going back to, to something I said earlier, too, you just can't get away from the fact that Ozzy has such a unique – uh, voice, you know, I saw somebody from from his solo band was was saying that uh, they would do this thing on the tour bus where they would ask Ozzy to sing something like Jingle Bells or Mary Had a Little Lamb, and no matter what he sang, it sounded evil. <laughs> you, know, you can sort of picture Ozzy singing Jingle Bells or something, you know, and it sounds heavy metal. It sounds evil. You know, and that's kind of the Ozzy, you know, what Ozzy brings to the table and the, and the Ozzy voice. So, I mean, I guess to summarize for me, you know, I think they're just they're two different singers. The band went in different directions. Uh, Dio certainly brought his own thing to the table. Uh, his, his iconic voice, his writing, his, his stamp. You know, you listen to a song like Lady Evil, to me that's very Dio sounding. That sounds like it could have been on one of his solo albums. Yep. So, you know, Dio brought a strong personality. Uh, Ozzy is Ozzy. Ozzy was the first guy. He, he had more records with the band. His songs are all over classic rock. He had a more successful continued solo career than, than Dio did. You know, who wins? I, I love them both. I think if I had to be forced into picking one over the other, I mean, I'd probably go to the Dio era, honestly, a little bit more because it feels a little... I grab an album like the Humanizer because I'm, I I haven't heard that as many times as I've heard Paranoid, but um, still reach for the early stuff and find things I love out of the early stuff. And I love them all equally, like like kids, like your kids. You know, you love yeah, them all equally for different. They have different personalities, but you still love them all the same. Yeah, I, I'm torn. I mean, I I, I, uh, I there's times when I really gravitate more toward the Dio era and other times when I listen to the Ozzy era and I'm just, you know, I'm like, wow, this is just amazing. You know, like I, I recently been listening to, to volume four a lot. And I just, I think that's an incredible album, but you know, that, that whole era of, of Ozzy fronted Sabbath is very special and it, it has a lot of um, unique qualities about it that are only present when those musicians are together you know 13 uh a lot of people criticizing that you know bill ward should have been on the album and we've gone back and forth how many times bill's been absent versus how many times he's actually been a part of the band and how relevant it is that he's not part of the band it, it doesn't really matter but yet it kind of does because there is a chemistry there and um with those four members and once that was changed then you know, it wasn't the same band, but there's a lot to like about the Dio era. There was a different, uh, there was a different vibe. There was more of a, of a professional attitude about the music that certainly is, is, is a great quality. And the songwriting was great. And they're just, uh, it really isn't a versus thing. And that's how we started this segment. It's not a competition, but I, Personally, I wish people were more accepting. I, I wish there wasn't this divide. I wish people would say, you know, I love the Ozzy ver uh, 
Aussie version of Sabbath for what it is, but I, I really like the Dio version of Sabbath for what it is too. And, you know, it's all part of the same band, just, you know, different personalities. That, that, that's how I, that's how I qualify it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right. Well, I think that might be a, a good note to leave it on. Any other, I think, you know, we both agree they each, each era has its own thing, brings its own thing to the table. Okay. Uh, Real quick. One, one last thing. So when we're going all the way to the end um, and, and we have two examples of, let's say current Aussie Sabbath and relatively current Geo Sabbath. We have the heaven and hell band versus 13. Which one wins for you? I was going to, I was going to ask you the same question. Uh, wow. I, I never really thought about that before now. Uh, Boy, I hate to say it, my gut, because I do dump on thirteen. I've I've been known to sort of have my issues with thirteen. The fact that mm-hmm. they played it so safe, the fact that, and I do like the Devil, you know. But uh, I don't know if you force my hand. I I might go thirteen. Okay. I yeah, that's just that's- a little more enjoyable. It's maybe it's a guilty fun because it's so safe. It's and the issues that I have with the devil, you know, you know, the mix is a little strange. Some of the songs aren't very memorable. I like Adam and Evil and like the first couple songs and you know, maybe the last song on the record. But uh, I don't rank either of them as being like 10 out of 10s or spectacular no. albums. But I guess if I had to force my hand, I've, 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 let's put it to you this way. I've listened to 13 more than I've listened to the devil, you know. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm in the same same place with that. I've listened to Thirteen a lot more. Um, it's cool because I never thought I'd hear Ozzy singing on a Black Sabbath album. I always it it, it wasn't as uh, wasn't as big a deal to hear, to hear Dio back with, with Black Sabbath as it was with Ozzy. Maybe some of that is just the novelty of the situation. But you're right; it's a very safe. Thirteen is very safe. It's very you know it's basically mimicking you know, the first three albums, primarily Paranoid. Um, but, you know, in a similar way, Heaven and Hell kind of more or less follows the Heaven and Hell album and, and, and tries to capture the mob rules, you know, that, that early 80s era of the band. And um, I, I, to me, it, it doesn't sound like everybody's on the same page. It sounds like the music was written, recorded, and then Dio came in and sang over top of it. He didn't seem like he was as integrated in the material as he had been. No. And it sounds like Vinnie Apice was brought in at the last minute to do his parts. It just, to me, the devil, you know, 13 sounds more like a black Sabbath album than the devil, you know, does, you know, if you try to say, okay, does 13 sound, does the devil, you know, maybe I might compare the devil, you know, more to dehumanizer because there's the more of the slow songs and stuff like that. But, uh, and 13, maybe it's just because they played it safe. They came in and they knew, okay, we're going to try to make an album that sounds like the first three or four, three or four albums. But you know, it's, it's kind of guilty fun. Maybe the 13 is, 
I don't know, the songs just stand out to me more. I remember them more. Maybe that's again, because they sort of to try to play by the numbers a little bit more, but you know, the devil, you know, if you had asked me when those albums first came out, I would have said the devil, you know, but I, I don't reach for the devil, you know, as much. Anyway, no, I, don't I don't listen to it as, as much. And, uh, it would have been interesting to see where they would have gone with it. But, you know, I think maybe if they had had a producer like uh, Rick Rubin, you know, maybe they could have gotten better results. You know, I think that's the only way that 13 was able to, to work was is that they had to get a producer. They had to get somebody that was really going to try to keep them focused and give them a, a uh, you know, a game plan and keep them on not- task. I'm not sure how much of an asset Rick Rubin was to that album. I think he really pushed them in the direction of trying to, you know, rehash old material into into a new album. I think he pushed them in that direction. Maybe if they had a, had a producer, like Martin Birch, I mean, you know, or, or somebody that was a little bit more, um, less interested in trying to put a feather in his cap like Rick Rubin was about you know, producing a Black Sabbath album and, and and sort of making it sound like earlier records so that he had that credential of like making an iconic Black Sabbath record. If somebody just let them do what they wanted to do, it, it might have been might have been a lot better. I mean, who knows what ideas were originally presented and uh thrown out because well if you remember they they did try to record an album like i think yeah. in the late 90s and there was a song they were playing live scary, dream. right? scary dreams right so you know i think the only way that it was you were going to get anything out of them at that point in their lives and their careers was and rick rubin is famous for coming in taking artists getting them to go back to their original sound. He did it with Johnny Cash, slightly reinventing people. But he always goes back to, you know, the, the, the classic sound, and that's kind of Rick Rubin's thing. But there was probably also just a lot of lawyers and accountants and managers, and it took a whole army of people, you know, multiple years to get them to that point where those guys could sit in a room together and put put something together and is, is it the album that, that I wish it was a little bit more challenging. I wish they had tried, uh, you know, tried some different things. Uh, I wish they had done that. They didn't. Uh, it's still a pretty good album and it's probably was the best black Sabbath album we were going to get out of those guys at, at that point in time. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we have, I think we've covered it uh, to summarize each era. So it has its own, has its own thing. And uh, in the end, you know, we, we, uh, we love them all for, for what they are. They wouldn't be Black Sabbath if you didn't have, you know, if you didn't have Dio, if you didn't have Ozzy. Yeah. I, I think moving forward, I think uh, the, the one thing that I want to try to get across through our through our discussions is that, you know, every era of Black Sabbath has a lot of good things about it. You know, when we start getting into the Tony Martin era, you know, we'll start start talking about some of the virtues of those albums that are largely overlooked by people um, in favor of the Ozzy and the Dio. So, I mean, it's kind of important, I think, to get the Ozzy-Dio thing out of the way 
so we don't need to reference that so much in the context of Black Sabbath, and we can start really, you know, when we start analyzing or, or getting into a critical uh, discussion about Tony Martin here, is we can just sort of qualify them on their on their own merits, you know. But I mean, there is there's something. It's not just Ozzy. It's not just Dio. You know, there's we get into Born Again. You know, we'll. <laughs> which will be interesting because it's probably one of my least favorite Black Sabbath albums for a number of reasons. But nevertheless, I mean, it's a lot of people's favorite, you know. Yeah, so this has become a cult classic over the years for a lot yeah. of people. Yeah, and I, I probably should have said this at the beginning. We weren't excluding any of the other eras, you know, especially the Tony Martin era, because we don't think it's valid or anything like that. We just thought that, you know, when most people – the Aussie versus Dio thing is sort of the elephant in the room, so to speak. And that's why we wanted to, to address that with its own particular episode. And we are certainly going to cover uh, every, every uh, era of the band. So, yeah. all right. Well, I think that's going to do it for us today. Thank you very much for uh, tuning in and listening. Uh, we do have a Facebook page out there. Uh, I believe we haven't quite set it up yet, but it should be uh, facebook.com slash into the void, a black Sabbath podcast. So you can uh, reach out to us there. Let us know what you think of the episode, your thoughts on the Ozzy versus Dio uh, discussion. Uh, We'll also be posting the audio of this on YouTube and it will be available on all the streaming services. So Make sure you comment, uh, let us know what you think, let us know some things you may want us to cover in the future. Mm-hmm. And for that, uh, we are out for now. So uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Okay, thank you, everybody.